It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Discord. Links in the description. This week's topic, Machu Picchu. All right. This one makes me think of Pikachu. Machu, <laughs> Machu Pikachu. <laughs> Pikachu, Pikachu. I can see that. Not only were... The ancient Nazca lines, you know, special to the people, but they represented the Pokemon of the times. All right, I'll get started with a little bit of an introduction on what is exactly Machu Picchu. This was constructed, or so they believe, sometime in the 15th century. It was constructed by the Incan Empire in the eastern Cordelia. Uh, Cordillera. How do you say that? Cordella? Cordillera? Cordera? C-O-R-D-I-L-E-R-A, Cordillera? Cordillera. Cordillera. Probably roll something in there, too. I don't know. In the eastern Cordillera of southern Peru, on top of a nearly 8,000-foot-tall mountain. So it's, like, way up there. I don't think I've ever been on a mountain that tall. I think maybe it's It's hot. It's high in altitude, but actually compared to a lot of other sites in Peru, it's actually not that high. Like, for, exa- for example, Cusco is about 11,200 feet in altitude, and um, Machu-, Machu Picchu is actually only like 7,970 feet in altitude. Hmm. So it's actually not that high compared to other, other areas. Okay. That seems way up there to me. But um, so as they think- Well, it, it is on the top of a mountain, and it's- it's in a very like heavily forested like a tropic area, so it's very hard to get to. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Very secluded area. And when I when I read about stuff like this, I'm like, why on earth would you put a, a settlement of any kind on top of a freaking mountain? You know, <laughs> let's do it the hard way. You know, mm-hmm. because they could. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. <laughs> but, so it was built around 1450 thereabouts and abandoned around 1532. So it wasn't actually occupied for that long. At least this is what, you know, the the archaeologists and the the standard story is mainstream archaeology. Yeah. It yeah. was used as a royal estate and there was about 750 people that lived there. So it was not like a big city. It was an estate or like a house or a mansion type deal specifically for like the rulers or the uh, what was his name? I wrote it down. The elite. Yeah, the elite. It was for the for the um for the king basically, right? I heard it was like a retreat, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Like a yeah. spa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just think it out loud here. All right. I like, like spas. Hey, I guess the Incans had spas too. Why not? Or maybe well, they had running water there. So yeah, they did. They had a lot of running water. So the they had a seven hundred no wait twelve acre excuse me they had a twelve acre farm or 12 acres of farmland there that was basically terraces built into the side of the mountain. And again, it just like, if you look at pictures of this, it's just the most ridiculous thing. Like why, why would you farm there? This is, Oh man, maybe those were the people 
who instead of sending them to jail, the bad guys, you know, they made them work on the side of a mountain at 8,000 feet altitude. Well, and I read there was no <laughs> soil there either. Like they had to haul the soil up from the rich, you know, areas below bucket by bucket. It's, yeah. it's not like it was a good planting area. No, it's just, yeah, it's a strange place to settle, to put down your roots or whatever, you know. They definitely made it work though. That's for damn sure. Oh, yeah. So it was forgotten over the years, kind of. From what I read, it was forgotten by, I guess, the larger geography, you know, but local people still kind of knew it was there. So it wasn't like forgotten, forgotten, but just kind of mostly forgotten. Uh, but I'm a little fuzzy on that one. Like Agent Ether is probably going to correct me on that in a little bit. I'll correct you now. Well, it, it definitely <laughs> wasn't. It definitely wasn't forgotten. Well, because like uh, in uh, 1911, when uh, Harem Bingham showed up there, there was uh, three families that were already living there, like like using those agricultural terraces. And uh, because of the like the war between Chile and, and Peru at that point, like they just ran away. Like they didn't want nothing to do with anybody that was unfamiliar because they just figured it was a part of that war. You know what I mean? So they ran away supposedly when, when, uh, when his, him and his crew came up there, but that, that area was being used like, and, and, you know, farmers were, were living there, you know, throughout the, uh, the era, the, the years. So at like, the it same definitely time, was a, a known site to the locals. At the same time, it was, covered that- in vegetation like before before Bingham yes. came in and they kind of cleared everything out it was it was definitely a lost city in that the entire thing had been taken over and was overgrown so a lot of it wouldn't oh, yeah. have been in use you know and it amazes mm-hmm. me how quickly that happened all right before we continue I just noticed that Agent Kruger is in the audience. Agent Let's, Kruger in the house. You should be able to put, hot dog. Oh, <laughs> you should be able to put yourself on the stage, Agent what? Kruger. While we're at it, I'd like to give a shout out to our live audience here on Discord. If you're unfamiliar, we do live shows generally on Friday nights, and it's unfortunately it's a really awkward time, so uh, most people can't show up. But tonight we have Pac-Man thirty-three. Dr. Jackie 04200. Yak. Jackal. 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 Oh, Jackal. Sorry, my screen is kind of far from me. I apologize. Dr. Jackal 04200. Yak. And Bay. Yak's always there, dude. Good old Yak, dude. What's up, Yak? (laughs) Beowulf spelled with a V. Beowulf. There you go. Shout out. Welcome to the show. Shout out. Hell yeah. So I just did a real quick overview of Machu Picchu and uh, the other agents were getting into some more of the details and we pretty much started very recently. It's true. For sure. It's a true thing. Well, that's kind of lame. I thought we were talking about Pikachu. So <laughs> That's what we were saying. That's what I said. Here. Yeah. Machu Picchu. What the fuck? I spent a yeah. lot of time watching cartoons for my Saturday like so. morning cartoon regiment as a kid. Like, and I did a lot of research. I, I, I trust, trust you me, I did, right, but just me. on the wrong thing. Trust <laughs> me, all the bowls of cereal I ate were for nothing. <laughs> a lot of Lucky Charms. Uh, Cocoa Puffs, my good sir. Fruity Pebbles. Cocoa Puffs are all right, dude. I could dig that. That's a you know, good solid cereal. I, I, want, I don't want to sell them short. Last thing I'll say on it is that. I don't. I remember them being more chocolatey, and I had some cocoa pebbles the other day, and oh my god, oh, yeah. it was shattering. 
Yeah, Cocoa Pebbles is where it's at, dude. Like Cocoa Puffs are good, but as far as like a chocolatey cereal, pe- the Pebbles, brother. Did you yeah. just let the Have milk sit in there? Uh, I would say yes. You have to Hell let the no. milk sit in there. Well, you don't even have to let it sit in there very long. Yeah. Ah, by the time you're done with the cereal, it's uh, it's chocolate milk. I mean, I have like six bowls in between, so it's like I'm going to get that chocolate milk no matter oh. what. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh. I digress. Just get like a really big bowl right. of milk. Machu Picchu. To like put, pull the whole gallon of milk in a bowl and then just keep adding more and more cereal to get it more and more chocolatey, right? I just yeah. put it in the whole bag and then I shake it up and then I poke a hole in it and then just release all the chocolate milk. <laughs> Throw the whole bag of mush out. Okay. <laughs> or you could put it in I a blender with some milk. Make make a cocoa. You know what? A cocoa pebbles. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. You know what? I, I'm sorry to take this on a tangent, but I've taken fruity pebbles and I've taken vanilla ice cream and I've blended into fruity pebble shake. Oh, hot it. dog. It it's that does sound so good. good. It's not bad. I mean, it's bad for you, but damn it, it tastes so good. Oh, sure. So if you're looking to add weight, you know, hit me up. It's, I know it's I know one of life's great delicacies, you know? Right? Beefcake. People kill cake. Beefcake. <laughs> Beefcake. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's get back to the show. Now, where were we? Lord only knows. I completely forget. <laughs> we're doing a show? We're talking <laughs> a yeah. show. We're talking about a show you say. We were talking about the farming, I think, and then ETA was talking about some some farmers that were there. And uh, the the war with Chile. Oh yeah, and uh, and oh yeah. Then fun stuff. Then I don't know. I could hit the rewind button, but then we'd have to stop to do that. No, that's <laughs> when I came in. That's when I came yeah. in. You guys were talking about agriculture and greenery, shrubbery. So know. the whole site, the whole site is surrounded by agricultural terraces, and the amount of terraces that are are present there, they must have been feeding a, a decent amount of people. And, and I think one of the more amazing things to me about the site in particular is actually the underlining like like uh, structure that, that is below like the megalithic structures that you will see on, on the top of the surface. Like the, sub, so the below substructures? Yes, exactly. The substructure. And it, it, it states a very high level of sophistication. It really does. Because not only does this substructure divert water away from like the main structures, like because th- this is an area that, that receives a lot of a uh, high amount of rainfall year to year. Um, so there's a lot of moisture to be concerned about, you know. And so not only does this uh, structure divert water, excess water away from the structures, but it also diverts water towards their um, like their fountain systems and their agricultural terraces. Uh, like it's not the 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 total amount of water they, they would need to, to grow plants and stuff, but it definitely helps out. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's very sophisticated. It keeps the site stable. Mm-hmm. It is very, yes. And I'll, I'll just kind of lead into one of my opinions here is that I don't believe the Inca themselves were capable of this level of, of uh, sophistication, to be quite honest. Like, uh, I think that they built upon this site. This is definitely a site they, they absolutely inhabited. There's no doubt about that. So you think like the but subsurface, there, the site preparation, that was maybe done by somebody yeah, who wasn't the Incas. A more megalithic culture. Yeah, an ancient culture compared to even the Incas, And they basically just took somebody else's homework and then just made it their own? Is that what you're saying? Well, there, there's, there's a lot of different sites. I mean, even the city of Cusco, you can see that evidence for this. Sacsayhuaman, I mean, it doesn't matter what type of site that you uh, you talk about in Peru in particular, there's different levels 
of architectural sophistication present at most of these sites. And sometimes there's even three levels. Um, it, like, for example, in, in, a, in Machu Picchu, I think it's a perfect example because you have a lot of things are carved like straight out of the bedrock. And we'll get into these, these different, these different uh, you know, uh, areas within Machu Picchu that are of great importance. But so, so you have, you have like, like multiple different levels of, of sophistication when it comes to architecture at a lot of these sites, you have, um, stuff that is carved out of the bedrock and is usually like, uh, aligned towards, you know, true North or South or towards, uh, astrological, you know, things. But, uh, you also have like the, the more traditional megalithic structures that are, not used, they, they didn't use mortar. There was like bare rock against bare rock, but so highly sophisticated that like you didn't need mortar. They, they lined up, you know, the, um, together so, so, so well, you just didn't need that. You know what I mean? Like the, it was a uh, big blocks, you know, with uh, no mortar and they were put into place very precisely, you know, uh, and the blocks themselves were made very precisely, you know, and, then there's another level where you're just kind of fitting blocks together with mortar as well, which isn't Spanish um, at this site in particular, because the Spanish never, never discovered, never discovered this site. Um, it just, it, it seems like the Inca found this site and they built upon it, you know, and, and I think they had a great amount of respect for, it. it seems like they did, you know, because they didn't move a whole lot of stuff that was already in place, you know, or, like if it was out of place, they didn't know where it was supposed to go. So they made stuff around it, you know, but I think well, most, or built it on looks top like, of it. yeah, built on top of it, but it looks like most of the structures above ground that you will see on this site are probably Inca just because of the type of construction. But then when you see like the bigger blocks and more megalithic type of construction, I believe that to be a different culture. I, I think it's something that they found and built on top of, you know what I mean? So Which mean would actually, Sorry, pardon me. Oh, well, I was going to say, it would actually kind of describe why they would even choose a site like this to even build anything upon. You right, know, because, because it already was it's, there. It's, it already it's, existed. Yeah, it's very remote. Um, it's a difficult site to build anything on, you know. And it, it's a, you know, it's, I don't know. What, I mean, there, there's so much more you can say about the site. To be quite honest, I'm, I'm a little bit brain farting right now because I was starting to now, go now, now, who, what would be the the nation that, I mean, like the civilization that was, you know, attempting to live there or was well, there every, before? Every site in Peru is accredited to the Inca pretty much when it comes to mainstream archaeology. That's right. They yeah, were just, sorry. they were a huge empire. They just stretched from like one end to the other. You know of South America, I mean, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of crazy though because like the Inca Empire that we know of, as far as we know, only lasted about 150 years, a little bit more. That's true. It was until the it Spanish was short lived. And then, yeah, and then there were smallpox mostly so and war conquistadors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Screws so over. even even uh you know the fellow that was accredited to be you know the discoverer of this site even though he wasn't the, the like the the first person to find this site Hiram Bingham um he himself uh even described in his book um the uh in the wonderland of peru um i think it was uh published in 1913 i believe but it's called in the wonderland of peru he even described um 
not only like, you know, observing different levels of, of like sophistication and stuff with, with uh, the structures that he was, uh, he was finding, but like, he, you know, he, he described that like, uh, like, like a lot of what he was seeing, like, didn't make necessarily, a, like, didn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? Well, especially when you consider like, uh, the, oh, okay, I forget where I was going with this. The Incan people, they didn't have a written language. They didn't have iron or steel tools. They didn't even have the wheel. Oh yeah. So we're crediting the Incas with this incredible architecture. They would have needed, you know, engineers and architects and stonemasons and artisans. This is something that was planned out. It wasn't built piece by piece. The whole thing oh, yeah. Yeah. was planned out together as one structure. You would have needed gold and silversmiths. It was just huge. It was, it was, you know, monumental, well, this yeah. whole undertaking. The crazy thing is that like, yeah, the Inca were supposed to be a bronze age civilization and supposedly they, they didn't even have the, the wheel, you know? Yeah. They didn't have a written language. I mean, from, from what, I don't believe that for a second, to be honest, No, but like, like, yeah, supposedly they didn't have a written language. They didn't have mathematics. They didn't have the wheel. They only had bronze age tools. And, and you look at the, sounds the like sophistication. My life. What are you talking about that? I, <laughs> I defy every day. I defy. <laughs> but like, it's, it's funny though, because like you look at the sophistication of some of the, this architecture and you're like, I mean, I, at least as far as I'm concerned, I just like, I'm like, nah, whoever built this was very sophisticated and they, there's no, there's no doubt that they had to have had a, a written language to, to accomplish what they did. You'd have to have some kind of a underlying structure to support that sophistication, you know, but going back to what I was saying though, um, that book, um, in the wonderland of Peru written by Heron Bingham, um, he even said that his opinion of the structure that he was observing had to have taken generations upon generations to build, you know? Um, so the timeline doesn't really line up. If the Inca was only like, you know, a prevalent civilization in the area for 150 to maybe at the most 200 years, as far as mainstream archeology span is, is concerned. I don't know. I, I don't see how they could have, they could have had the time to build all these, grand structures that we find in Peru. Right. In, not in the not surrounding just areas as Machu well, Picchu. You know? Right. Just not just this area, but but all of their temples and the roads. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the fourteen thousand oh, yeah. miles of roads um as they expanded their territories that they used to you know yeah. uh archaeologists say they used it to move troops. But wow <laughs> that's amazing. The way that the roads were so obviously drawn out, mm -hmm. like you had to have had, you know, high level surveyors, people that knew the the lay of the land before they even started progress on any kind of a road. You know, they mapped it out, they they figured it out, they planned it out. You know, so it, it's you'd have to you'd have to have some sort of a, you know, a mathematical system. Not only that, but you know, a language to start with. Just yeah. to start with. I saw right? these roads and they switch back up these really steep mountains, like the whole mountain. And there's a road all the way to the top. It's amazing. It's not a matter of just pouring down some gravel and calling it a road. This yeah. was a real engineering feat. No. And back oh, to the, the dating of things, the way they date stuff at the sites, they use carbon dating. 
and they can't actually date the structures or the stones. There's no way to do that. You may be able to estimate like weather wearing on it over time, but even that is a little sketchy. So they'll find artifacts, you know, bones maybe, or leftover things, any organic material, and you can carbon date those. From what I understand, most of it's pottery. Yeah, but you can't actually date the structures themselves. So everything is just an estimate. So it seems reasonable given the, you know, the grand scale of everything, it seems reasonable that this stuff could be like you're saying, either part of another civilization or that they're a little bit off on their, or way off (laughs) actually on when they think these things were built or how long it took to build them. Well, and you know, the, the, the thing about like this area, like South America in particular, like, so, so for instance, like when we talk about history, like ancient history, even like, like around like Europe and the Mediterranean, you have multiple different sources from multiple different time periods, people that, you know, were, were stating, you know, the fact that they were seeing or whatever they are observing, you know, whatever the statements, wherever they came from, they were stating it from that time period. They lived in that time period. So a lot of the history that we have from like, you know, Europe and the Middle East and, and a lot of these areas, you have a lot of different sources to go upon. With this, you don't like there. There was so much that was destroyed during like the Spanish, um, like uh, conquest, Inquisition. No, that happened. In no, Europe, no, I friend. just love saying Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> but that conquest no, during that conquest, the like there was so much that was destroyed, <laughs> and it, it appears so much of the population was was just plain wiped out by like stuff like smallpox. You know? Oh yeah, like, like there's so much history that so was much lost. Of, like I, I read anywhere from like. 10 million to tens of millions just wiped out. I mean, they're talking about a huge civilization. And in the end, there were only like 600,000 people left. Wow. That's really depressing. And that shows like a secluded nation, right? I mean, that sounds like a secluded civilization, not open to foreigners, or at least they just don't get many visitors, you know? So as soon as that. Well, they they didn't have a whole lot of people coming from Europe, I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> up until the first uh, explorers that came there, I think the first explorers that came there, I think they made they meant no harm. They were just exploring a new area, the oh, new world. I don't know. Well, what about all that and, gold? Well, it's not it's not harm that they meant, ex- unless <laughs> unless there were people who were yeah, opposing their goals. They did plenty of, of harm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No definition pl- of harm. They did plenty of harm. There's no doubt about that. Uh, within their their lust and their greed, yeah, there's no doubt. But I think uh, the the first. But I'm not talking about like the the conquistadors. I'm talking about the first couple like travelers and and uh, that had gone there. They were just trying to find a new world, and they were trying to obviously find different routes for trade too. But they, they were, you know, they, they were exploring new worlds, you know. And I think, uh, you know, they don't necessarily. They didn't necessarily. They definitely didn't want to, you know probably extinguish entire civilizations with disease, you know, inadvertently, you know, but yeah, like, I mean, uh, it was just a blonde haired dude and a black haired dude, right? It was just, yeah. They're probably more so likely to be Burnett, but whatever. No, I'm just trying to remember the <laughs> Disney movie. Oh, I- Eldorado. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think that they were intentionally trying to wipe them out with disease, on the other hand, I don't think they would have been all that bothered with it either, depending on who, who you're looking at here. I read a book yeah. in history class, the the Diary of Bernal Diaz, who was one of the conquistadors, and he soft sells a lot of stuff, and he goes over a lot of... He, he sort of 
skips over a certain things, but he slips a little bit too. Like at one point he's talking uh-huh. about war brides and the men were all upset because the officers were keeping the best war brides for themselves and stuff like that. I'm like, wait a minute. If your mission well, is to bring Christianity, get the best war brides. You what? I said, uh, if anybody's going to get the best war brides, who should? <laughs> but I mean, they're saying is all their excuse Just was saying. they, they were under the guise of like bringing Christianity to these, you know, these savages or whatever, but they were not acting as Christians should, you know, that's for sure. Not that, I mean, like I'm not a Christian, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that like, you know, sex slavery, I'm pretty sure that that's not like a Christian value. Um, I could be wrong about that, no. but <laughs> no, <laughs> you definitely know? is not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> it's, it's crazy because I think, uh, oh, if I'm not, uh, well, that guy had a, what the hell is that guy's name? Francisco de um, Orlana, I think, was the first guy to actually like travel the Amazon. And he actually traveled it from west to east, not east to west. And he described, if I'm not, for, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a guy, I think, what I'm thinking of. But he described you know, a very vibrant culture that he came across on the Amazon. And it was a gigantic culture of like mound building and like, a, like they, they also built like a lot of elaborate, elaborate uh, wooden structures, but they had stone structures as well. And this guy, like uh, it was around like, like 1511 or something like that. Or I, I don't remember the exact date, but um, the, the, the stories that he told other Europeans, like they were like, Oh, that's not, that's not true. You know, like, what are you talking about? You're talking about a civilization down there in the new world that rivals, you know, like, like the European civilizations as far as like their technical ability. But the way he, he described their technical ability was more so like in agriculture and and such things, you know? So they weren't, they weren't technically sophisticated in the same way that Europeans were, you know what I mean? They had taken a different route as Mm -hmm. it were. And, um, I think that like, cause like the next person that came after him was like a couple hundred years after or something like that. The next, the next uh, explorer. And, um, like they described basically finding nothing. Like they're like, what are you talking about? Like, there's no civilizations here. You like, you know what I mean? Weird. But I think what happened was, was that he inadvertently gave them smallpox or something of the, of the sort, you know what I mean? Hmm. And it just completely just devastated that, that civilization. And yeah, by the time a couple hundred years came around, you know, um, or whenever the next, uh, explorer, you know, came around that area. Yeah. It, it had already devastated everything and the jungle had already reclaimed everything. So you couldn't see what was there, even if it was like, you know, 25 feet or 50 feet off of the, uh, off the, you know, the river, you wouldn't be able to see it because everything is overgrown. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the, that's, I think that's, that has a great amount of influence when it comes to South America and, and a lot of like the, the Inca era civilizations, I think they, they got hit hard by some of these diseases and in turn, a lot of this, uh, history was lost because a lot of the history that they had down there, it seems at the time, at least it was spoken history. It wasn't necessarily written down. And, and, and when it was written down, it was written down on um, like reliefs and uh, like drawings, drawings on the walls and stuff like that. You know, I forget what the, the technical term for that is, but like that is the kind of stuff that is not going to stand the test of time. You know what I mean? Like if you paint something on the wall, whether it be a depiction, whatever it may be a depiction of, 
it's not going to last that long. You know what I mean? Because after all, it's paint on a rock. You know, so right, it'd have to really have the right the right situation. The right the right. Uh, there wouldn't have to. The, you can't have too much uh, moisture. You know, it, it'd have to be really well preserved. You know, it'd have to be uh, made in the right area, the right situation for it to stand the test of time. So it's no surprise that the, the majority of this type of thing, like the mur- murals, like for example, like in, with an Aztec culture within Central America, there have been many mur- murals that have been found depicting, you know, uh, many a, of amazing thing um, when it comes to their culture. So that's why we understand a lot of the Aztec culture. And that's not the only thing, but that's one of the things, you know, but like uh, with, with uh, Inca and stuff, it's even a little bit more ancient. So, you know, like if they were doing the same thing, and it appears like some of it was, like, yeah, it wouldn't test, it wouldn't stand the test of time. So, like, there's no wonder, there's no wonder why we don't have that evidence, you know. And not only that, but like we had stated before, a lot of this stuff got destroyed during like the Spanish uh, conquest because they wanted to, they wanted to make these people uh, Catholic, right? So, you know, if, if, if you had a, a religion that was opposed to that type of thing, you know, like, well, it, they destroyed it, you know? Yeah, they, they would actually do that everywhere they went. Yeah. They would destroy all of the native, whatever religious thing they had going on in their particular locale, they would destroy that and put, uh, put Christian churches in place or places of worship in the same spot. So they would yeah, they went really far to try and destroy these cultures, which is, I think is just, the whole thing is just a little bit depressing, you know, that they it is yeah. so warlike. Very. Yeah, the the Incas, they, they were deeply religious, like, and it was part of every aspect of their life. It was inseparable from history and yeah. politics. They were ruled by someone who was religious, a religious uh, leader. And actually when they conquered different people, those people were allowed to keep their gods as long as they worshiped also the Inca gods, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's kind of reminiscent of uh, Alexander the Great with the Greeks. Like that, yeah. like when he would that. take over take over areas, like for example, Egypt, they didn't they didn't take over Egypt as a military conquest. They they were able to take them over as a idealist, idealistic, is that the right word? Conquest, whatever. But they were able to mesh their gods with theirs and like come to a common ground, you know. But like like yeah, it's it's famous like the like Alexander the Great. Like a lot of the areas that he would take over in conquest, uh, they would let them keep the same gods. They had no problem with like whatever you worshiped or right, that's fine, but you're still under our, our control. But they would also, the, one of the amazing things that I think that is also part of that. Uh, I mean, this has nothing to do with uh, Machu Picchu, but um, they would also uh, catalog any of like the, like most of like the information that they had, like, you know, religious information or whether it be like geographic or, you know, they, they would absorb a lot of the uh, intelligence of a culture, you could say, you know, and, and, and they would learn. They, they were more interesting, interested in learning, you know, as opposed to uh, subverting, I guess you could say, right? That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, yeah let's get back to Machu Picchu though. Yeah. Because there's, there's plenty to talk about here. We'll, we'll talk about Alexander the Great and his abduction stories in a, in a, a different episode. <laughs> before, before we continue <laughs> yeah. on though, I just wanted to give a shout out 
to uh, who who suggested this topic, Agent Ether? Ooh, I'd have to go look. I thanked them in Discord, however. Yeah, let me check the Discord. I'm pretty sure it was in there. Oh, who who suggested Machu Picchu? Yeah, somebody suggested Machu Picchu, and I just wanted to give them a shout out real quick. Let me scroll I up. I saw here. it too. My goodness. Oh, Specky Owl. Is that it? Yes. Yes. All right. So shout Specky out to Owl, Specky yeah. Owl on Discord who suggested this topic. So thanks for the suggestion. It was a really interesting one. All right. Well, Danke. let's get back to the show. Kruger, I, uh, I appreciate your post in the general chat. Oh, did you see that? I yeah. just want <laughs> to say that that is epic and I will definitely be posting it. On Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) So inspirational. So empowering. Yeah. I mean, that's what it looks like. I don't see what's so funny. (laughs) I put two different ones. I put one where he's, he he went backpacking on his leap year or his gap year. So, (laughs) and you have like this accomplished backpacker. Well, let's get back to Machu Picchu. Man, there's going to be a lot of edits there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ah, that's what the flag button's <laughs> for. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have yeah. just pressed. All right, where Marsh were Pichu. we? I don't remember oh, in any way, shape, or form. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea where we were. <laughs> well, let's this see. I think we went on a tangent talking about like, Alexander the Great. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, we're talking about letting them keep their religion and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, and that's right. And like, um, there's- ETA was talking about how... Um, how the, he thinks that smallpox erased a lot of the world's history. Which is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's sad too, because imagine well, imagine the culture. Well, the history that of that area. Yeah. I mean, history repeats itself in many different ways, right? That was their version. But uh and then um I don't think we even we haven't really talked about a lot of the details, even like we touched on no, how, how not like really. the, the blocks at the like the base blocks are much bigger than the ones above it. And it like ETA was hinting or talking a little bit that it looks like it was almost built by two different people or two different cultures. And like, yeah. the, like the Incas, given the amount of time they were around and given the technology that they had, it's, it's a little hard to imagine them having moved those big giant blocks. Like I don't, it was hard to find the exact measurements, but I found that uh, I read somewhere like the largest ones were up to 300 tons per block, like just these massive blocks like, yeah. how did they get those up there? You know, I, I don't know. But uh, maybe they had some some long-lost technology that we don't know about. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of directions we could go from here. I, I did read one explanation. Okay. Acoustic levitation. That's what yes. I was, that's what I was actually yes. going to mention next. That's what I was going to mention. Yes! Wow, everybody's <laughs> super excited about this All right, this let's theory. do it. What do you Sorry. got for us, Ether? <laughs> I can't even talk. Oh, <laughs> I, I arrived yes. on the same premise that like, I, I think that, uh, you know, a megalithic uh, civilization that predated the Inca actually are the ones that laid like the foundation stones for like this site, you know, and a lot of other sites like there are accredited to the Inca, to be honest, in my opinion. But yes, yes. It, Cause that, that is something that also I think appears to be a possibility in places like uh, the Giza plateau and other megalithic sites around around the world, it, it seems like they had uh, sp- like they had picked a specific type 
of stone to use that had like a crystalline structure that could be used in this way. You know what I mean? Either they had like a high level of crystalline structure that was uh, variated in a different way or a specific way, but also, uh, you know, a rock that was high in iron content, you know? Um, but every single site that you find in Peru, um, most of these sites that you find these, these large megalithic blocks, they're always quarried from the same area. You know what I mean? Like they don't take stone from multiple different areas and build one site. They only will build one site out of stone taken from one quarry. You know what I mean? Which I find to be uh, very interesting and, and purposeful. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder if there is some significance to that. Like that was a, a spiritual area and they, they use those rocks for a specific reason. I don't know. Well, I think they did. But let's get like, yeah, let's get into it. Yes. Well, you know, also there's, so you're looking at this ancient uh, civilization, but they have advanced technology. So some of the theories would include some sort of acoustic levitation, some sort of gravity technology. And of course, then you get into who were these civilizations. And some people think they were, of course, uh, extraterrestrials who came down and, and, showed these these Incas, these people, how to how to use this technology, or maybe even, you know, uh, built it for them, in fact. Mm-hmm. Sounds similar. Well, because, too, uh, you guys know in the burial chambers, they found a lot of elongated skulls, and archaeologists say, well, that's a result of binding. And that's, you know, that's a very good... Um, idea if you look like right now in china i guess it round heads are really popular so have you guys read this they're molding children's heads to be round and shape yeah i was like in the news so i mean binding does does work so they think among maybe the elite or religious leaders they could have uh bound their heads to to have these elongated skulls but they've definitely found them so yeah, but it's always yeah. you, you do hear that it, what accompanies that exact expression that you just mentioned uh, was you know it's amongst the elite and the, the higher ups, if you will. Um, but I mean, it's also known to be you know a tribute to what they depict as a god, or you know, in right? Our so case, what exactly? What exactly are they mimicking? Well, in other words, in this, in yeah, this the, binding. exactly. Yeah, I feel that exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think some of the more famous elongated skulls were were found in Paracas, Peru, as a matter of fact. And it's very interesting because you find like different qualities of quote unquote elongated skulls, and some of them, no doubt, that they have been boarded. You know, um, it's a it's a, a, a you know case of somebody that had their their cranium manipulated from birth. To yes. form a different shape, you know what I mean. Yes. And it should be known that they did not have a long life. <laughs> Those craniums uh, yeah. that you know, yeah. like that was a deformity that you were placing upon. You can you imagine know. the the type of influence, uh, yeah, negative influence that might have on somebody's physical com- condition throughout their life, right? Well, it's just like what an ancient. The thing that is extremely uh, important to note. There actually has been quite a few studies on these elongated skulls. And the main difference between like a skull that was boarded from birth to represent an an elongated skull and the difference between that and something that actually appears to be a skull that was elongated from birth. 
So somebody w- that was born with a, a, an elongated skull. There's there's telltale signs that you can draw from from measure, measurements of these skulls. And the main thing is going to be cranial capacity. So the ones that are boarded from birth and are made to represent or imitate elongated skull, you'll find that these, the cranial capacity, as far as like how big their brains were, how big the, you know, inside of their skull was to, you know, how how much space was there to, to form a bigger brain, I guess you could say, right. Uh, The boarding is, will be the exact same as any other, you know, homo sapien that you'll find, but there have been quite a few skulls that were found with the capacity was not just like, you know, like 10% above, like the normal homo sapien capacity for, uh, you know, uh, their skull, but some of it is considerably higher, like at least like 50 to hundred percent, like more capacity for a brain than, and it's not just that either. It's not just like the, the internal capacity for the size of a brain that this skull may have, uh, housed. It's not just that it's also the, the different suture, um, like, like, uh, like the uh, within within a skull, you're gonna have different suture lines as far as like how the skull like um uh, the different like, uh, bones come together and, like uh exactly how they come together and how and how they yeah how they form especially like in adolescence right yeah like yeah it but that's such a hard like that's so brutal to think about it is just you know if you're being cre- boarded. Yeah, but some yeah. of these skulls, though, it doesn't seem like they were boarded, though. Like it, it seems like they formed very naturally, and not only did they have an increased, uh, you know, internal capacity for brain mass, but they also had different suture lines. Yeah. And like, all right, it so, was so rope. Agent, Agent Agent Ether, I think you probably know more about this than than I do, but like. Like the different, the different, uh, like lines in which like the regular, like homo sapien skull will, will like fuse together in adolescence and, and, and how it grows into adulthood. Right. Because when um, you're, when you're born, you're, like your skulls growing very skulls rapidly. Developed very differently. Yeah. When you're, when you're younger, you have these sutures. Yeah. Right. And, and the bones actually, so when you're That's first. That's a perfect example, Beowulf. So when you're first born, <laughs> so just throw that the bones there. can move. They have to be able to move. They have to be soft and they can't be, um, the sutures can't actually connect the bones very strongly because you have to be able to get through the birth canal. And then as an adolescent, you're growing very quickly. So again, you can't have a cranium that is, you know, a, a solid, solid cranium. So things start to fuse together when you stop growing as you become uh, an adult. Yeah. And not only that, you look at dental like records or like the dental evidence. Some of these skeletons that have been found in Peru around like, like especially around the Caracas era um, area um, or Paracas. I'm sorry, but, but uh, like some of these like uh, skeletons that have been found with elongated skulls have a very, a very like small, like, skeleton as far as like their their torso and like you know their legs and stuff and hips and stuff like that but their their head will be very large like almost the same size as their torso you know but uh, at the how, same time how, wait, hold, up, hold up though hold up now like all right so some of these most of these uh, skeletons have been described as being you know either somebody who is like one or two years old maybe a couple years older than that even 
but like the ones that have been labeled as being like infants have a lot of them have fully developed like like teeth like a fully developed like a teeth structure with even like wisdom teeth and stuff you know and like it doesn't make any sense that they would have that developed teeth you know at that age that is interesting that's one of the big red flags like for me at least you know when we're talking about these uh these these skeletons these creatures whatever whatever you want to call them you know because it doesn't seem like like uh they're the same thing you know what i mean like and it seems like people that a lot of the burial sites that you find these elongated skulls in a lot of times it will be buried in a way that was giving respect to them like they were obviously part of a higher class of culture you know it's not the normal type of burial you know that like a, a, a for lack of a better word a peasant or some something like that would be buried under you know what i mean so like not only the objects that they're buried with but in the manner that they're buried and some of these a lot of these uh these skeletons are found mummified which takes a great amount of effort and a great amount of knowledge in order to mummify a body all right it's not something simple you know what i mean and a lot of these bodies are mummified like uh the time in which they were mummified sorry i'm I'm starting to sum my words now here but but uh the time in which they were mummified is actually before like uh like egyptian times you know and it's also far removed from egypt obviously so how do they have the same technology or why were they they were following the same type of burial ritual right what kind of connection what kind of connection was there and how could there be a connection well there could be you know yeah i mean shit there there's so many damn there's so many damn different connections that you you may draw upon like uh the structures just the structures in peru alone you know as far as like uh how they are like oriented in certain ways you know like whether they be oriented towards like true north or south or like, you know, some, some, uh, astrological, you know, orientation or something, you know, but, um, I, th- there's a lot of, there's a lot of different correlations you can, you can draw upon for sure. You know, uh, shit with art. Archa- <laughs> so one of the first ones that actually like, like comes up to mind to me, to be honest is, uh, have you ever seen a megalithic structure that has three doorways? As far as an entrance. Oh, sure. I got one in my backyard. I have. I have. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it everywhere, right? Three different uh, doorways. The middle one is always the biggest. The one to the left and the one to the right is usually the same size, but they're they're very equally distributed, you know? Um, And this, to me, seems to be indicative of the the notion of... um, well, it, it ties into like a a couple different things, but like hey, you're not kidding. There's a there's a place that's next to me called Triangle Square, and they only have three entrances because it's a triangle. <laughs> well, okay, so the left <laughs> entrance, just left entrance, just as a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, I actually saw way back in the day before they were huge. I saw no doubt play a show at Triangle Square. Like they just did a little show up there. Like I didn't even know who they were. I drove down there with some friends and we saw them play. They were just like right there. Like I could have walked up and grabbed their guitar or whatever. Like there was no stage or anything. It was crazy. And then uh, they got really famous shortly thereafter. But it was, dude, they are so good live. So good live. But anyways, I digress. 
that three entrance that I talk about is uh, heavily related to Masonic tradition. So the left entrance is uh, represents the masculine or the sun. The, the right entrance represents the feminine or the moon, right? And this isn't talking about like, like male or female, like traits necessarily, you know, it, it has much more, much more to do with like the, uh, like with the yin and the yang of, of existence, you know, and, and um, this is a, a reoccurring theme throughout every, every ancient religion that I know of in, in every ancient religion that has in, influenced architecture, to be quite honest. The middle entrance way represents like, uh, you know, like enlightenment, I guess you'd say, you know, the the marrying of the two images into a perfect, perfect form. You know what I mean? And you find this uh, reoccurring theme throughout all megalithic structures, as far as I've seen, you know, um, it's quite an amazing thing, I think. And you find that in Peru, you find that in Egypt, you find it in the Middle East, you find it in China, you find it in Thailand, everywhere, dude. Every freaking where you you will find that similar uh, trait being common in, in architecture. So I don't I don't think it's necessarily like a Masonic thing in particular, but it, it might be closely related to Masonic tradition as far as most people are concerned nowadays because of what the information that we have, you know. To, active, you know, to draw upon, you know, but I think it's a, I think it's at, at the very least, uh, a symptom of a far more ancient religion maybe, or culture that have, that has influenced, you know, it is a worldwide culture that influenced everything around it. You know what I mean? Like, and after, and potentially maybe let's just say, let's just say potentially like, you know, maybe possibly the younger Dryas era was, uh, you know, the era that this happened in, I'm just saying, Maybe human culture was, you know, had had a, a bit of an intervention when it comes to a natural disaster. You know what I mean? Maybe there was a natural disaster that interrupted freaking everything. And we had to start anew, right? We had to hit the reset button, right? As a species, as a culture, whatever you want to call it, you know? I mean, you look at the sediment layers within Earth. I mean, if you take a geology class, you understand that the world has been through cataclysmic events more than once. And yeah, and life was, you know, carbon. I mean, like I said, if you just look at the sediments and you look at what the world has been through, it's been through a hell of a lot. And we've been here for a hell of a long time. So it's it's a fascinating you know, dive in itself, geology, and just the learning about how old our world is. And, you know, geology is awesome. I love it, but scary as hell. It makes you feel like an ant. Well, it's it's pretty well accepted that, like, the Homo sapien form that we, you know, have right now has been around for, at the very least, 300,000 years, at the very least, right? I think it's been around for a little bit more than that, potentially, maybe even much more, but, like, just think about it. 300,000 years with the cranial capacity and the intelligence that we have right now. I think it's more than possible, you know, that there are ancient civilizations that have been erased by natural catastrophes that we just have no idea ever existed because the history hasn't uh, made it to our mind. You know, it hasn't stand the test of time. Right. You know, just, just think about like, like, you know, stuff like, stuff like uh, glaciers you know, like, like, like think about North America and just, just like in the younger Dryas era, you know, just 11,000 plus years ago, 
How much damage and how much destruction must have been caused by that natural event? I mean, this natural event spanned quite a few hundred years, you know what I mean? But like anything that was under any of those glaciers, any structures? Well, we've been, yeah, yeah. Well, look, look at all the megalithic structures that we have now. They're all made out of stone, which seems to be very, like, you know, you know, uh, obvious. I mean, it was made on purpose like that. There, you know, well, to, I mean, the world did go through a glass station event. I mean, if you even go to Kansas, you can find permafrost. I mean, and stuff like bulks of ice, that mat, land masses of chunks of ice just swept through the lands. I, the dating is completely off, but I mean, it's, you can't not entertain the idea though, that there was something before a huge, you know, cataclysmic event that just completely wiped out, you know, a way of life that, you know, was just the routine. I mean, hell we, as we know it, we could be raced at a moment's notice, whether it be, you know, due to volcano or, you know, a wizard caldera. Well, I think it's more likely a meteor or possibly quite, quite possibly an extremely uh, violent solar or solar flare. Well, that's a, just put it on the list. You have so much, our ozone going out, you know, or, or, you know, we just have like, even uh, we could freeze to death again. Hell, we could actually kill ourselves with our nuclear arsenal. So it's we've created the power to kill ourselves. I mean, whether it be from the natural sun or or our own man-made sun, it's it's you know it's truly beautiful, but also really fucking scary at the same time. So it's it's I don't know. Yeah. This is the world we live in. I hope we don't see that day though. Something like a solar flare, especially right now, I think would be super, super like, like scary because like our, our power grid is not set up to defend against something like that. You know what I mean? Like if a solar flare of substantial size hit like North America, for example, like we'd be drawn right back into the freaking dark ages, you know, because everything electrical would be pretty much destroyed. But we would have amazing Northern lights. So <laughs> we and just think about it. If we, if we lost our current infrastructures for whether, you know, power grids and all that other stuff, and, you know, we didn't have all the the transportation, forget about getting your Xbox or PlayStation. If, I mean, how many people here know enough to grow food for themselves, just themselves, you know, we would be in a lot of trouble. Society would collapse and it'd be like a zombie movie, but without the zombies, just be people would be the zombies, you know, <laughs> it would be bad. But to Agent ETA's earlier point about which about which structures would survive and which, you know, the stones ones that are survived, just, I don't know if you guys have ever done any repairs to your house, but my house, if you, you know, underneath of the paint of the walls, the entire house is made of like, if you've ever worked with drywall, it's like chalk. It's like, that's, you know, that's not going to last any amount of time at all. It's going to last, a, you know, a couple hundred years at best, there might be something left. But there's not going to be something 10,000 years from now, not a chance, you know? Or a shingle that's like a thin layer of, you know, just yeah. tar and rubber. So it's just, it's, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, I, li- I really like that I've point. I've done my own roofing. It's a hell of a thing. Because if we were the same as we had, like, if we were the same biologically for 300,000 years, I could go back 300,000 years and there'd be some, if I could speak the same language, 
I could have a conversation with these people. They'd have the same abilities, the same mental faculties and everything. And we, I think we talked about this before on a previous episode about Gobekli Tepe, which by the way, Gobekli Tepe built out of stone. The only reason it's still there is because they filled it. They backfilled it. If they hadn't buried it, it would not be there anymore. It would be completely eroded away. And, that's, and it seems like the people, the people that buried it did it on purpose yeah. because, well, who, who knows why, because, you know, but yeah. like, it seemed like they knew about something upcoming that they would need to preserve or for whatever reason they wanted to pres- preserve this site. But that you know? was, that was only like 10,000 years ago. Right. And I say only, but I mean, yeah. only that was only 10,000 years ago. And the only reason that was there is because it was buried and they're rediscovered. If it hadn't been buried, it would have been erased. Right. And that's only 10,000 years. Now go back 300,000 years. Just imagine, imagine what humankind has achieved and then has lost. Like we know from the genetic record, there's like the genetic bottleneck where they think that there was only like 3,000 people left on the planet at one point. So we've definitely been through some cataclysms. But until they find some sort of archaeological record of it, it doesn't exist for us. But I think that there's no way we were around for 200 or 300,000 years and we were just, you know, you know, banging rocks together for that whole time. It just doesn't check out. There's <laughs> yeah. no way, no way at all. It makes no sense. Yeah, no and, sense. And to fact correct, actually, to Agent ETA's point earlier, you were mentioning um, about like 600,000 years, you would saying about the how far homo sapiens have been around, but it was, uh, well, actually it's been 200,000, I guess the most recently like recognized homo sapien that was well, found you're was talking, in East Africa. You, you're oh, oh really? no, I'm just saying like, it was just 200, but I'm just saying like, but it also like, that's just what we found. So to something that's been completely obliterated, you know, we, and there's no record at all. So it's, you know, there is that possibility. So, I just the Clovis know. first doctrine was like like the accepted like like you know timeline that like uh most archaeologists you know had in North America you know uh, like we all like they all thought that like human civilization had come across the Bering Land Strait pretty much and then populated down through North America from that you know what I mean um it doesn't seem to be at all you know, the possibility because of DNA uh, research that has, has gone on in South America and stuff, which shows a lot of Aboriginal DNA and uh, also uh, like, like Tongan and um, other like Pacific Islander DNA like comes up often in South America. So it, it would seem that like, like the Bering, the, the Clovis first doctrine is, is very false. We did not come through the the Bering Land Strait and populate North America and South America in turn. You know, what I mean, it does not seem to be the case at all. And also down in uh, in San Diego, as a matter of fact, and I I think I've I've, I've mentioned this in previous episodes. I forget what episode, but uh, there there was actually um, an archaeological site that was found in in San Diego, and I forget what off ramp it was. San it was Diego. it was. No, they, they were they were, they were constructing an off ramp for a freeway, and um, they found an archaeological site, and it actually predated the Clovis by quite quite a bit. Uh, I forget what the hell it was. It was like it was like two hundred plus thousand years or something like that um, from today. 
that you know they they uh, they they carbon dated some of these organic materials that they found, but they found um, mammoth bones that were obviously processed by human hands and by human like like uh, like knives and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, and they found like you know uh, certain like like campfire sites, I guess you'd say. You know the, the where they cooked. The, these meats and stuff like that, and they found arrowheads and stuff like that, and a certain, in a very specific layer, you know, sedimentary layer. You know, there's evidence out there that even in North America, at least two hundred thousand years plus, there has been Homo sapiens with the same cranial capacity that we have nowadays present in the site. You know, what I mean, whether they were very uh, advanced, it, it doesn't seem like they were very very advanced, but they were there. You know what I mean? Or shown the way to be advanced, or given the opportunity to could, be advanced. Hey, hey, you know I what? That can't that rule be, it out, man. Well, that could be that could be possible. Like you know, like like all right. So like like when you, when you talk about like a Aztec or Inca like a mythology, whatever it is, where you, whether you talk about like Veracocha or Quetzalcoatl, for example, like there were two different individuals that were described as being, you know. Uh, Figures that brought back society after a great catastrophe. You know what I mean? And like that's a that's a a common trait within some figures throughout many different civilizations and religions throughout the world. And it seems to me a lot of these figures, you know, were were, were molded and then in turn described after the fact, you know, uh as a part of uh trying to remember what what had happened. I think that's an episode onto itself, alien intervention, you know, or some sort of, you know, you know, coming in or guidance or not, you know, I I don't mean it in one direct way, but I just, you know, just some in some form or fashion of stepping in and guiding us the right way. Now, whether that be the case with Machu Picchu, that would be uh I I would like to think that, you know, something like that happened. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. We're talking about Machu Picchu. Yeah. <laughs> Steer us around. Let's get us around. Hold Let's get back, back, back to the show. <laughs> that's right. We had a topic. No, but that's cool, man. It's all about the tangents. You know what I mean? There's yeah. There's a lot of, I, we have really only just scratched the surface of what is at this specific site. For example, there's the, oh God, the Inahuata stone in I- N I H U A T A N A in any any Huatana stone, and this one is lined yeah. up to perfectly with the winter solstice, and the name itself means to tie up the sun, and this is just one of the many things that the strange things at the site, and we've we've talked about it before, but it, it's <laughs> you know if you're gonna line something up to the winter solstice, you got one chance, you know. So how how did they do this so precisely if they didn't have like a written language or anything? Because you would need knowledge of prior years. You would need math. You would need geometry. You wouldn't be able to do this with a culture that just had spoken word. So the fact that yeah. they have something like this to me means that this culture was probably a lot more sophisticated then we give them credit for. And that's just on the surface layer. Like we're not talking about the potential that this had influences of previous cultures 
or you know anything else like that that was going on. But there, there's a lot of we've only just scratched the surface of what's going on at Machu Picchu. I mean, it for it to be it's referred as a lunar observatory point. You know, that's and another thing that I thought Agent Ether was going to touch on this when she started talking about it, but there's a story of of when oh yeah, I wrote my notes my notes are in the other room unfortunately but what what was the name of the leader the the incan leader who was who, this city who lived in the city i forget his name which uh, i i should have i should have gotten my notes i'm sorry people but he was what, this, yeah there's a story where, where he was levitating he levitated stones and used that to defeat an army and it sort of goes along with this idea that they had some sort of higher technology. Now, there's ideas that the the gods, you know, aka aliens, gave them this technology, or maybe it's something that they had because their culture was older than we think. But it, it's just an interesting idea that we have this legend passed down that is sort of, I mean, it's not hard evidence. But it is really, really interesting because it has turned out in the past that these stories, something we thought was just a story, turned out to be based in fact. So we I'm not saying this is evidence, but I'm saying that it is kind of interesting that there are stories of being able to levitate rocks in, within this culture. Or melt rocks. Um, I didn't come across melt stories of melting rocks, did you? One of the gods that they they uh, venerated or whatever was supposedly able to. It was a bird god that was able to melt uh, stone with his beak, and then reform it into the the form that that he wanted. You know. Hmm. Okay. And I, I uh, Inca. What the hell? What the hell was the name of that? Pachiku Inca Yak. Quinta or some shit? I forget. I'm, I'm trying to draw from memory here. So, I forget the name of the damn freaking thing. Something we won't be able to pronounce, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, vaguely, I vaguely remember that that description. Yeah. But I, I could be confusing it also with like a Aztec well, and mythology maybe. I don't know. Just, just like sightings that we've talked about in this show where we see like so a lot of the sightings we've talked about have happened in, you know, either North America or like a, you know, English speaking nation, because that's, that's kind of like the, you know, reports we have access to, but you, you know, those, when they see something weird, they relate it to their own culture. They, you know, they describe it in terms that they know. I mean, obviously, but you know, like I mentioned before, like, you know, if you see something that's, that's like football shaped, you call it a football, you know, because that's what it looks like to you. But if you see something that's like this this bizarre stone melting stuff, you don't know what it is, you might describe it as like a, a bird using their beak to melt the stone because that's the only way you can rationalize it to yourself within your own cultural framework, you know? So that's, that's like, it seems to me interesting because if you're going to think of a story of somebody melting stone, which, which uh, maybe you're thinking about hot lava or something because it's a ge geologically active area, but uh, why would you think of it being done with a bird's beak? I mean, of course, there are people who are very creative, and it's not that much of a stretch to think that they had a creative, you know, storyteller that came up with this idea. That's not out of the question at all. But on the other hand, it's fun to think, what if? What if it wasn't somebody who created this story, but rather something that they witnessed 
and they witnessed it and then they retold the story within their own cultural framework, which might have been instead of like some sort of machine or something might have been described as like a bird with, you know, using their beak. Just kind of, I just kind of like to imagine, you know, what if with these kinds of things. All right. Well, I feel like we've, we've only just actually just begun on the topic. I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but we're getting on towards the, uh, well, we're over an hour by now. So I think it's about time to wrap it up for this week's episode. Any final thoughts on Machu Picchu or the topic in general? Well, I'd just like to mention that you can go and see 200 artifacts in Florida at the Boca Raton Museum. And they also have this new um, immersive augmented reality experience where you're like in a theater and you're in the chair. It's kind of like virtual reality. And you also can like walk around. They're kind of keeping it under wraps, but I get the impression it's kind of like that Monet exhibit they have where you can see all the paintings or they do it for Van Gogh too, where you walk through and the, they just blow up the paintings and they're like on the walls and they're moving. I think it's kind of like that. So you're doing this virtual tour of uh, Machu Picchu. It sounds really fun. So if you're in Florida, uh, it's running through March and then it's going to uh, kind of, you know, travel around the world to different museums and stuff. So you can keep an eye out for it and see if it's coming to your area. Wow, sounds awesome. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, that's on the other side of the country for me. <laughs> it's a but little it being far. virtual, can I can I like tune in, you know, with my VR headset? That'd be awesome. I don't think you can. No. I think you can look at the uh the the artifacts though online. There's 192 of them and they've never been exhibited outside of Peru. Before. Have you checked out some of the artifacts? I did. <laughs> Very interesting. And a lot of them are are golden artifacts you know they had their uh sun god who was a humanoid figure and it was depicted like on a plate and there would be like flames coming out uh, gold was very important to the inca culture they thought of it as like the lifeblood or the sweat of the gods and they would gild everything including like the temple walls in gold so a lot of these artifacts are gold and silver related and that in that itself could be related to, you know, extraterrestrials because from what I've read in the past, that being a fuel source or something of a commodity. Yeah, I'd say if I had to wrap it all up, I'd say that uh, it's, it's definitely a strange place and I would love to go visit there in person. And I actually, uh, you know, usually I can come up with some sort of conclusion or other or some sort of thoughts, but like I just, I don't even know what to think about this place. It's sort of... I don't know, it's still sort of um, undecided about what I think about any of this stuff. I'm just sort of fascinated by the area in general. But there does definitely seem to be some weird things going on here. Agent Ether, do you have any final thoughts? Just, uh, you know, wrapping it up, talking about the museum. I thought that'd be interesting. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by giving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and review. Keep it strange.